Radio Mano Papachango. gentlemen i'm coming to you from a place called timothy lake if you hear breeze that's the breeze coming off timothy lake if you hear airplanes those are tanker planes that are coming and filling up their water and then flying off and dropping that water on the fire at sisters oregon yeah, it's the day before the eclipse. Um, I'm going to drive the van up to this mountaintop I scouted out yesterday with some friends. We're going to spend the night up there and, uh, and um, you know, be drinking coffee while the sun comes up and uh, watch the eclipse from up there. It's a beautiful point. We're in the path of totality, but we're near the northern limit of it. So I think the eclipse for us will be about a minute, 10 seconds, something like that. By the time you hear this, it will have already happened. Uh, the world will have ended. The lizard people will have taken over. And um, I will have found a, a Starbucks to upload this. But anyway, I'm recording it on Sunday, uh, the 20th of August, my parents' wedding anniversary. They've been married 58 years, maybe? 57, 58 years? A few years older than me, their marriage is which is amazing. So uh, even though, as far as I know, they don't listen to this podcast, and I like it that way, uh, happy anniversary, Mom and Dad. They have a, they have a beautiful relationship, uh, in fact. It's, it's funny. I think people assume that I must come from a broken household or something because of my skepticism about lifelong contractual monogamy but uh, in fact I come from a very stable family background and uh, my parents are two really wonderful loving people and they really love each other and as far as I know they have only been with each other uh, in any sort of intimate sense they met when they were very young obviously so uh, here's to them. Yeah, so I met Timothy Lake uh, as I said and this episode is one that I recorded uh, a few weeks ago now, maybe more than a month, in North Carolina. Uh, there are four episodes coming from that farm in North Carolina, Sparkroot Farm. The first was with Elisa Esposito, which I released uh, two weeks ago. This is with uh, Kabui, who has other names, but I don't know what they are, and everyone refers to him as Kabui, so that's what I'm going to call him. He's a, a food activist, he's a philosopher, he's a medical anthropologist, um, he's a village-making consultant, uh, I believe, is, I don't know if that's an official title, or that's just sort of what he is doing there at the farm. He lives there, uh, he and a, a friend of his have a, a house there, and so they're part of this community of fantastic people who are sort of blazing a trail uh, into a home. They're, they're sort of a blazing a trail that doesn't move. It's, it's an interesting thing they're doing. They're creating a world. 
And so Kabui is uh, hel- helping them with that. He's part of that world, a uh, big part of the world, as, you, as you'll hear. He's been all over the place, grew up in a village in Kenya, came to the U.S. Um, to study, and has been in the U.S. ever since. He's a beautiful dude. Uh, I'm sure you're going to really enjoy this conversation. As for me, I'm coming sort of to the end of this little anthropology tour that I've been on for the last month or so. Uh, um, doing this eclipse thing, then I'll be in Bend for a day or two, then I'm uh, heading down to Burning Man. And uh, somewhere before I get to Burning Man, I'm going to have to pull over and do some writing because I have to write the introduction to the um, the podcast book that is hot. It's getting hot. Things are happening. Uh, thanks to a lot of you. Um, who have done transcriptions and uh, who have contributed to that process. That book's going to be, I, we're hoping it'll be delivered uh, to anyone who makes a pre, pre-purchase. Uh, I think the end of October is what we're looking at. We just had a phone meeting the other day talking about it. So that's starting to happen. That's going to be here this fall. Uh, once that's all set up, I think the beginning of September, we're going to do an official launch and there will be a web page where you can pre-order and read a sample chapter and see who's included and look at some of the art. And, you know, we'll be doing a lot of stuff around that. So stay tuned. Uh, as always, a special thought out, sh- thought out, shout out to those of you who support the podcast financially on Patreon. If you want to do that, you just go to patreon.com, look for Tangentially Speaking, and that's where you can say, yeah, I'll throw this guy five bucks a month or ten bucks a month or whatever. Uh, That money goes to the podcast account, and that keeps this show on the road. So really appreciate all that support. Uh, You can also support by hitting the donate button on my page, chrisryanphd.com. And of course having nothing to do with the podcast, but uh, those of you who use my Amazon link at chrisryanphd.com, a percentage of what you purchase of the money you spend on Amazon comes to me. Uh, and I use that for non-podcast related things because Amazon does not in any way support this podcast or any other podcast. They want us to be very clear about that. So Uh, I will not use that money in support of the podcast. I will use that money for nefarious purposes. I've said before it was for hookers and coke, but the truth is I don't really like coke. And I don't pay for sex. So um, I guess I won't be using it for hookers and coke after all. I'll be using it for beer and pretzels. Uh, Maybe I'll... um, use it for some sort of crazy hobby. I should develop a crazy hobby, like maybe hang gliding or something like that. Maybe I'll get one of those wing suits and jump off a fucking cliff in Norway. So that's where your Amazon purchase bonus surplus money goes. To me, looking into the possibility of getting one of those flying squirrel suits and a second one for Duncan Trussell, and we'll jump off a fucking cliff together and hold hands to our demise. Uh, or not. We'll see what happens. Speaking of Duncan Trussell, if you haven't heard the live podcast that I recorded with him two weeks ago in Portland, Oregon, at the Float Tank Conference, you uh, might want to check that out if you 
like hearing me babble, which apparently you do. Here you are, after all. And uh, and Duncan Trussell is fantastic. He's he's a national treasure. Treasure. So the two of us were on stage together, and uh, you know we did a little thing there and answered questions and had a good old time. I love that guy. So check out the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, and you'll see the most recent episode is with me. Unless you're looking at this in the future, in which case it's not the most recent episode, but you'll find it. Uh, I guess that's about all I have to say here from this picnic table with chipmunks running all around me. These chipmunks are just fucking unstoppable, man. They're, they're going after anything you leave out, they'll get in it. Little bastards. So, uh, yeah. I know what I'll do with that money, that Amazon money. I'll use it to buy an assault rifle. Or, no, not assault. Assault rifle. A friend was out here. He has this rifle that's got salt in it. And you just pump it up and you can, like, shoot bugs with it and scare things away without hurting them. So maybe I'll get a salt rifle. There you go. Anyway, thanks for your support. Thanks for listening to this. This is Kabui, really cool guy from Kenya. And I am going to play this out with a song that I love called The Maker. has nothing, there's no thematic tie-in to Kabui. He's not... The Maker. The Maker is God, I believe. This is a song sung to God, but sort of a secular God. You'll hear it. Anyway, it's by Daniel Lanois, L-A-N-O-I-S, maybe. I don't remember if there's any on the end. Anyway, he's a producer. He's a really interesting guy. He, uh, I think he produced the Joshua Tree record for U2, maybe another one of their records, maybe... I don't know if it was Red Hot Chili Peppers or Pink Floyd. or He's produced really big albums. Uh, and he did the soundtrack to a really freaky movie called Sling Blade uh, years ago. Anyway, I dig him. I, I really like his, his music. It's very uh, sort of atmospheric and evocative. And anyway, this is The Maker. I hope you enjoy this podcast with Kabui. And I will check in with you next week. Thanks for everything. Thanks for all the love you send my way and to each other. Ciao. Across the great divide
there are ants in my coffee. Uh, that's, that's good uh, that's, garnish. That's part of living in the country. Indeed, indeed. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here in North Carolina with a really big hangover. <laughs> <laughs> and Kabui, Kabui, you're from Kenya? Yes, I am. And you don't have a hangover? I don't have a hang. I have a hangover from feeding 300 people. Yesterday. You did 300 people. What, yeah. what was the event you did? Yes, uh, we did a, a celebration dinner to raise money for a black farmer in Charlotte, North Carolina. Black farmers in Charlotte. Yeah, wow. with Carolina Farm Trust, uh, Land Trust. And you, Farm Trust. And you were the the head chef yeah, for I was that the thing. Chef and 300 people. Yes. What did you make? I made a Kenyan-inspired dish. I made millet, which is something mm -hmm. that. People feed to birds, but it's a very common dish uh, when among my people, the Kikuyu, mm. uh, traditionally, uh, but who have now moved to corn as corn continue to enslave and occupy the whole world. So, you know, so what, millet is one of the dishes that I'm rather known for pushing because uh -huh. I don't know hardly anybody who cooks millet. Really? At least in Masako, no. And it, most people, I had. Without exception, every time I cook it, a number of people come, not, and I'm talking a, a, a decent number, say, oh, I'm incorporating in my diet. Matter of fact, I made it because it was requested hmm. by uh, a group of people who uh, are part of the a collaboration between uh, Johnson C. Smith and the Mecklenburg Health Department, who have sponsored an 18-weeks program right. for me to go back to Charlotte every week and teach in an uh, economically depressed neighborhood. Really? Teaching cooking? Teaching uh, and food empowerment. It's not even about cooking. Food empowerment. Food, yeah. or food, I call it food literacy. Food literacy. Yes. So understanding where food comes from, what it is, nutritional value. Uh, beyond that. What, that, that, what that, that is, that's the colloquial. That's what everybody talks about. Right. right. But for me, I address uh, the underlying causes. When you say, oh, where does food come from? Yeah, it comes from North Carolina. Okay, that, what does that change? What food comes from China? Does that change anything? But if you teach people how food relates to their condition, if you have a food desert, there's not a food desert. There's a power desert. The reason why people don't have access to food anywhere, mostly is because they're oppressed by somebody. Mm. Yes. We have a very, very uh, opaque food system. 
right. we have yeah we are 300 people now control just about everything that we are using here today all the people who are at the dinner 300 people at the dinner yesterday uh all those people yesterday consumed for the most part of the day if not all the day things that are owned by 300 people right yes. so the concentration of wealth concentration of wealth so you're you're interested in the politics of food yes yeah basically man without yeah being too too public about it so i tell <laughs> stories about it but yeah my first i was born politically i was born by my my parents lost all their wealth struggling to be free in kenya my dad had a restaurant so he lost the restaurant I told you about the story then um so we i grew up in a country that had been uh, oppressed until five years before i was born so i was born in a country that was just barely a baby coming into into itself. So when was Kenyan independence? 1963. 63. Yes, after almost uh, 80 years of uh, being colonized. Yeah. Yes. So do, does everyone is English commonly spoken Kenya? Because oh yeah, of the but educated people, all educated right. people speak English. Right. Lingua franca or the uh, language of trade is Swahili. Swahili, which was also has. Uh, uh, disempowerment roots because uh, Swahili is a mixture between most at least the one is speaking in uh, Kenya is a mixture between Arabic and Af indigenous African languages and the Arabs came to trade Slave they were trade. there about five years 500 years before the European started their transatlantic uh, slavery yeah it's no slave trade I try not to use the word because we didn't trade in anything what did we get we lost a lot of uh, people. We didn't get anything. If you go there, there's nothing right. but poverty. You know, yeah, the right. the it trade. wasn't a trade. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't yeah. a trade. Yeah. Yes. So even in my food, I talk about how you disempower people. And the first thing you do even before you get to the food is language. Right. So right. food and language, so people can talk about junk food without realizing they're disempowering themselves. When you say junk food, you might as well, and you say a oh, word nigger, you know, people, why are you saying such a bad word? Well, there are people who are like that, but junk food, yeah, you're consuming that. Mm. And you don't see how you saying that disempowers you. Mm. And I say, I talk about that all the time, and people say, oh, don't use that word. I say, are there people like that? Yes, okay, a, a donkey or a mule explains something that does exist. A words paint mental pictures for mm. you. So, but when you say, oh, I don't want to use a word, but you're not doing anything mm. to make sure people and coming out of that condition, yeah, you're being a hypocrite. I agree. Yes, I'd rather say. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's harder for me as a white person to sure. to have that same kind of thing, but I do. Yes. I, I, in this country, I think the we're paying attention to the words so mm -hmm. much. Yes. But it's a distraction from yes. the problem. From the problem. So, so we don't okay. fix the problem. Change the words you use. Yes, and the problem goes away. Right. Yeah. Yes. Right. But don't do anything about getting yes. helping. You know poor or yes. black people or whatever yes. into the college and yes. to get better food, get better housing, get better medical care. Now, just change the words. Yes. Oh, come on, man. That's, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear you say that. You, I, I say that all the time. Yes. Um, so you, you came here from Kenya. Uh, wait, let's not, let's go back earlier. Mm -hmm. Like, tell me about Kenya. Tell me about, so you were born in a village? Yes, or? yes. So I can tell you, I can tell you slightly a story, a story about Kenya and why I do the work I do. Yeah. So number one, I consider myself fortunate because I saved myself from salvation. I basically didn't save myself. My grandfather saved me from salvation. And you understand what I mean. When 
my grandfather heard starvation or salvation. No, salvation. He saved yes, himself yes. from salvation. salvation. Right. Yes, and yeah. you'll understand. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it, it sounds kind of you know yeah. new, yeah. which is most of the things I say because I think very very different from the mainstream. Right. right? So when go back, take you to my village before I was born. Right. My father was about six years old. Uh, my grandfather heard that the missionaries now have come occupied the Kenya, but they were. Since my family was so much in the interior, they were not at the coastal area or close to the coast. The missionaries or the white power, white supremacy, just kept encroaching to the interior, to the interior. So at the point where that power reached our village, they came through church. They came, the first who came, uh, white people who came to my mm. village were the missionaries, right. which were always the ones who came before the troops and the soldiers came and right. the army came. Right. So when my father, my grandfather heard, about the story of the missionaries, these people who are like butterflies, and they were talking about a strange world, people need to go to heaven. Why do you say they're like butterflies? But that's, that's what my, my, my ethnic people, uh, my people call, say that they were like butterflies because oh. they were white. You know, uh, oh. so yeah, so there was no way of saying oh, white people. We didn't have a word for white people. Oh, yeah. So they say there were these people who look like butterflies, right? right? <laughs> and they did uh, have a. Uh, it was very symbolical because they go everywhere. You know, like right. oh, they are everywhere. They want to hear. They want to go like butterflies. Right. And you 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 can't tell a, a moth goes, you know, mm. without order. You know, but anyway. So when they arrived, my grandfather heard about it. My grandfather, obvious to me, has to be my savior as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I have very high regard for him. He went, he had three wives. He went to his two wives that li uh, lived at the compound at the time and said, look, this boy, pointing to my dad, is not to be given any regular chores that small boys would do around the, the, the compound. And my grandmothers didn't understand. Why are you telling me I can't send my son? I said, no. This boy's job from now is to follow me everywhere I go. And by that, when you became an elder in my culture then, the elders did basically nothing except maintain the village. So there was the judicial system. So whenever there was a disagreement between you and Alisa and La, or Adam and Eve here, the elders would be called in my village. They would come, they would sit, and they would iron out the difference is to make sure the world stayed in harmony, or the community stayed in harmony. But the missionaries came and thought the African was the laziest man. He, he marries all these many wives. He doesn't do anything but sex, have sex with them, and just have them cooking for him. And that's so horrible, and that system has to change. Anyway, so my job of my father then, now, then was to take my dad's to, my grandfather's to, whenever there were uh, councils of elders, whenever there were cases to be uh, adjudicated, or whenever there were um, uh, ceremonies to be uh, had. So my, from that point, my, grand, my father became the library of the village. Mm. He didn't do anything else. He didn't look after the cows. He didn't have to look after the goats. His job was to retain mm. exactly what the, my community was doing at that. In other words, he was my first anthropologist or the last anthropologist, I can say, whether which, whichever way you know, look at it, in my family. So he was a, a great repository of wisdom. So when I grew up, I came to the United States when I was 20. 
And I started, when I graduated, I invited my dad here for my graduation. Mm. He spent three weeks, three and a half weeks here doing, for the very first time, doing nothing else except sitting down without knowing anything except what I told him and he did what I told him. First time in, in his life. So he took the time to tell me a lot of the things that he had learned and appointing me to take over the mantle. Mm. So he told me a lot of the things that I would have never learned in school and maybe the typical Kenya would not know. And he also recognized now that I had been an educated in the white man's knowledge that I can do a better job of being a, a, a bridge and an interpreter of our, uh, our knowledge and putting it forward. So that's what he did. So now most of the work that I do is based on the knowledge that my grandfather so purely passed on to my, not really purely, but very purposefully passed on to my dad and then my dad passed on to me. Right. And now, now how does that connect to food? Now from the knowledge, so most of the things that I'm going to talk to you this evening are largely based, largely an interpretation, intellectual interpretation of what I learned from my father and in turn what he learned from his grandfather. So what, the reason why I do the work I do is primarily because of one philosophical uh, uh, perspective that I gained from the, the lessons I learned from my dad. I learned that during before the coming of the missionaries, the villages in uh, those times were connected by highways, walking highways. And between these highways, there were granaries, they called the granaries of God. I don't want to call it God because it's not the same concept, but it called the granary of Guy. And Guy was the spiritual power they worshipped then. And this granary didn't have a cross, didn't have any statues, didn't have nothing in it. It had food. And the people in that community, whenever they would wake up in the morning and harvest some food, they'll take some food to the granary. And the granary was by the walking highway. So the people walking by would stop by and eat food. The only condition was you can you don't need to carry any food because there was another granary mm. ahead of you and you're right. walking. Right. So if you get that concept, then you get my whole life. Now, think about these communities that are creating food restaurants our restaurants along the highway for free. When you're traveling, you don't have to carry a lot of bag because people understand and are human enough to know that, uh, to be empathetic enough, that people walking don't need to be carrying a lot of food. It's healthy. They're investing in the healthy, not of themselves, but in the healthy of the community, right. of the larger community. So now from then, I can tell you, whenever you walk on the highways or you drive on the highways in Kenya, there are a lot of churches. And the churches are institutions that take money from people, right? Mm. And they tell them about where they'll go and it's good that God <laughs> is there. Somebody's doing the work of God mm. and God com com commands that these people for whom uh, the work is done on, on behalf of whom the work is done need to pay, right? So I say, hey, if, so my, my grandfather was of the opposite position that if somebody gives you a job, they need to pay you for that job. They don't, I don't need to pay for the job that you're giving for somebody else. So don't come and tell us to give you 10%. But look at the difference in thinking of these two communities. Right. Those two communities were very sustainable. And as an African man, as a, a black person, uh, I have an obligation to benefit from the larger intellectual uh, world of the world, but also to add to it. So the Food movement is the largest social movement in the world, but is mainly white, gray, and male. It's, those are the people in power in the food movement, just like the previous food mo uh, social movements have been. 
So my job as an African, as an immigrant, is to offer something of value, a, a new interpretation of something that I've received for free from somebody who was uneducated and who would be looked at very, very uh, with, with disdain and was looked by were looked at with disdain by the missionaries, by the people who took over, by the people who, I, who had power from, from the colonial government. You're talking uh, about your father my, yeah, and my your father and my grandfather. Yeah. And that's why I think my grandfather had the, the, uh, the, 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 the principles and the stand and the understanding to fight against the British even when he grew up because of the way he's raised. So I'm carrying on. So I, it's like a multi-pronged job that I'm doing. I'm preserving that knowledge and making sure it gets into the larger uh, uh, progressive movement as something that maybe whoever hears it, if they can learn from it to do better. So that's power to my grandfather, to my father and to my people as well, as well as to the greater good that those people, just like the people who are building the granary of God, of Ngai, to do good to other people they don't do. So I'm, I'm presenting the same uh, wisdom for mm. other people of the greater world to benefit from it as we move towards uh, building this uh, movement uh, of progress against this destructive and uh, racist and uh, destructive uh, movement yeah so you i mean it's interesting you locate your life and your work and everything within this family context and as a as a projection of you know what your grandfather was doing and and so are you spreading is the food like obviously the food isn't the point for you the food is a way to get people to think about much larger issues and to engage them on a personal level but Mm -hmm. you're really talking about very universal yes so you came here 20 years ago to study you you told me the other night you 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 studied anthropology right yes i first studied political science and philosophy for undergraduate Uh and then i studied uh, medical and urban anthropology uh, in grad school. Right. So you have a master's or a PhD? I have a master's. Master's yes. degree. I did get my own PhD, by the way. That's a different story. So when <laughs> I graduated, when I graduated and uh, uh, with my master's yeah. and I started looking at different PhD programs, I realized that I didn't need to go to a PhD program because mm. I was probably never interested in going to work. I knew what I, what I really wanted to do, right. sort of, right? right? And a PhD is good for people who want to really go get and recognize and, you know, you can you go and get a job or what, I don't know, whatever you want to do. I don't know about uh, getting a job. No, no, no. I mean, yeah. I, I call, that's the... Teaching that, at that, the that, university. That, 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 yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah, that's what, you know, that's what it's... Yeah. sold out to me, right? right? If you talk to most people, they're going to school, oh, because I want to get a job, whatever. Right, right. Right. But for me, I knew that there was a lot of value that I already possessed. My father never got a job. I grew up, my father was a business person, so mm. uh, I, 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 and I, when I was growing up, uh, I, like, okay, I spent 10 years of my life in the village, as I told you. Yeah, how with many my people mother. were in your village? Like, how big is it? My, my village, uh, my village uh, maybe had like 200 people. 200? 200. 200 people. Uh, is the people in the village. And what's if people want to look on, uh, people who are listening to this on computers, mm-hmm. if they want to look on Google and, mm-hmm. and see where it was, what's the closest city uh, they would see on a map? Yeah, yeah. The, the closest city, uh, small town probably that would be on Google, is called Kangema. K-A-N-G-E-M-A, Kangema. Kangema. Kangema is uh, the price largest, largest town. But the village, uh, I was able to learn, was based on clans, 
it was a clan. So I'm telling you, the people in my surrounding clan was about 200 people in my clan. Mm. And the land was owned by the clan. It's very, now I can, especially now that I think about it as an anthropologist trained in the West, mm. it's very interesting to how I'm able to understand things that I didn't understand when I was growing up mm. because I was being sent to a, to a quote-unquote modern school which is Christian-based school, right, right? right? So, but anyway, so the, the, the village was about 200 people and uh, the village was very localized. You know, you, you travel, I didn't travel that much when I was in the village you, because the idea of vacation and all that stuff is, is not a, a, it's not a natural, mm. it's not an indige indigenous concept. Right. Because work is part of life. It's just not even part of life. Uh, it's a very interesting ba uh, basis, uh, Chris. People are occupied enough in the system that they create indigenously, building so meaningful social relationship mm. with people who they are close with. So if I have time, I go to my aunt. Why? Because we have this bond, we have this relationship with my aunt that we have to maintain from time to time. Right. And that needs time and investment. If I, if I have my cousins and that are being born, the only way this village will continue being sustainable is that I have to invest time with those new nephews, nieces, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandfathers, whatever. So why, why, why do I need to go anywhere else? And I'm being nurtured by this social relationship that I have. Mm. But because we're doing work that is not meaningful, we are stressed. We have uh, ideas about life that are not uh, logical. So we find ourselves having so much stress in our lives, working to pay for a house for 30 years. When my, the village, when I was growing up, we just built a, a village hut uh, for a, a weekend. We have a dance inside the hut for my nephew, uh, cousin. We really have a good time. We, then we go and, like you have a hangover, we go and rest the next day. Then we go look at the cow. I don't need to go to China to, to tell and take selfies and say, oh, right. yeah. so that's yeah. what I mean. Tell, tell me about the land. Is it forest? Is it open? Yeah, it's very forested because we are very close to Mount Kenya. So uh, Abadeas Mountains are very close to, to where I live, so we can walk to the Abadeas Mountain. Mount Kenya is very close uh, also. And uh, so, yeah, so the land is very lush. It's very volcanic soil. They grow mm. some of the best coffee uh, in the world, Arabica coffee. Uh, not a thing that I'm very proud of, but I'm just saying to create context for. You're not proud of it because of its relation with the oh, yeah. Arabs and the trade? Oh, yeah, Arabs, Arabs yeah. Uh, is a, a commercial crop and is the, the, the yolk. Uh, that connected my community to the global uh, economy. We had nothing else to, to connect us to the global economy. We didn't need to borrow money. Why right. we need to borrow money? We don't need to build stone houses. But when the coffee came in, the coffee and the church are the very first yoke of enslavement that came to our... Yeah. Yes. I think people don't realize this, but, uh, I, you know, when I'm, I'm reading something about uh, poverty in Africa mm -hmm. and... I see. Well, in in uh, you know Kenya, people are living on five dollars a day, or mm -hmm. in, in Mozambique, people are living you know on one dollar a day. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're so desperately poor. Mm -hmm. And then you go there, <clears throat> and you actually see where people are. Mm -hmm. It's not that in the countryside, it's not that people are poor, it's that they don't use money. Yes. So like, oh, they only use a dollar a day. Well, good for them. They don't need money. They're growing food. They're trading with the people. You know, I've got vegetables. You've got a goat. You know, we trade. So they're they're outside of the the monetary system, but that's not the same thing as being desperately poor. 
it's this crazy assumption we have. That it's, it's like saying, you know, oh, the poor person, he hardly takes any medicine. Well, he's not sick. He doesn't need any medicine. So tell me, speaking of medicine, and as a medical anthropologist, mm. what what's the healing uh, situation? Mm. You know, I mean, now obviously mm. you have mm. a lot of infiltration of Western mm. medicine, but mm. what were the healing practices like in your tribe? Okay, fast healing uh, process, which is also my business, is people need bad food, so that's number one. Um, Let's, so, right. uh, and as an anthropologist and an African, I'm 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 just enamored by how our thinking about food is shifting from eating food as a functional thing to eating food as medicine. Mm. I always talk about the irony of this uh, quote I always see when I go to many places, and I'm sure you've seen it, let food be thy medicine. Mm. Am I sick? Why, am I, why do I need to practice defensive eating if nobody's attacking me? When you're growing food, you eat. So that's number one. And people in my culture did not eat as though they are trying to keep from getting sick. They didn't eat food to get these nutrients. Food was not broken into nutrients because food is broken into nutrients in the West in order to make money. That's all. So they say, oh, you can get this, it got better carotene. So that when they take better carotene and you think you don't have enough better carotene, you can take these pills and all this stuff. But anyway, so that's the first point to make. The second point to make is uh, there was specialization for skills in my culture. People who are good at making metal, metal work, they will teach their kids to make metal, and that was a secret trade. That's, they guarded that, and they passed that on to their family in order not to dilute the trade. Mm. If everybody is doing a podcast and they don't know what they are doing, then there are all these podcasts, which I think is where we are now, where there's all these podcasts that even the few people who are really doing good work, they are, you know, they, you, you can't really, you spend a lot of time before you get to the good. So according to their logic, they say we need to protect this so that only those people who are most likely to be really good at mm. can do this work. Right. So if you grow up in a metal, since metal workshop, mm. right. since you're a baby, then you become that. So you may understand it. So people who are good at understanding plants, and, and I'll give you a quick example in anthropology. So my grandfather, my father told me that, my, his grandfather told him that the way they knew the medicine that is good as anti-venom, they watched a rat that was, no, a snake that was bit by another snake. And he went and chewed a particular uh, leaf. And then he relaxed. And after a while, he was able to mm. get up and go. They say, oh, there must be something in that plant that are anti-vinyl. Mm. So a lot of things in life, are, you don't need to be rocket scientist to figure out a lot of things. So anyway, so medicine was plant-based. Plant-based medicine is what we had, that's one. Counseling, mm. what we call counseling, is also was very, very uh, uh, effective way of dealing as a form of medicine, a, a, mm. a, 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 a culture. But the missionaries label those people as witch, witch doctors or witch, mm. because they'll come and these people tell you, oh really, or oh, you're sick, okay, have you paid the dowry for your, for your, for your, for your wife? 
no, I, I'm waiting till where you need to go pay that dowry. That's the reason why you're getting sick. Mm. So you go and you pay the dowry to your in-laws. You have a big celebration. Maybe you are feeling down. That's right. why your, your immune system is a little bit vulnerable. Right. And now all your in-laws come, all the village come. We have a big celebration because you pay the dowry. And you say, oh, I'm feeling better. There was a little bit of that uh, placebo. Right. right. So that's right. so I think so that, that's I think those are the two points. And was there any sort of um, aside from the celebrations? Mm -hmm. Was there any sort of uh, consciousness altering? Like, you, are there plants that made people change consciousness? Is that part of the healing? Oh, like uh, yeah, in the form of uh, things like ayahuasca. Uh, yeah. Um, I I don't have that evidence that people altered their consciousness in that mm -hmm. in that in that but yeah. when people were the, were the closest thing i've come to is uh singing and dancing yeah. singing and dancing right. will alter your consciousness right and, and drumming uh, drumming and people will um and during silent celebrations you can alter your consciousness by by meditating mm. right you meditating for example right so during certain rites of passages uh the elders or during certain calamities there are stories that i've heard whereby i i think i can uh assume or uh extrapolate that these people the way the things that they said the things that they did were having altered consciousness right. so that's one number two there was massage in uh, in my culture oh. so you know uh, there are women who are uh, would use all and they use old uh, uh, goat skin and they would hear the all and they will massage uh, uh, women for if you have pregnant women, there was people who are really good about maybe turning the baby upside down, uh, the right side, you know, the way they need to be. Uh, oh, before delivery. Before delivery, reach, you know, the baby would breath. be the yeah. right, wrong side, and they will massage the baby until it's... So, so there were very, very advanced ways of right. treating and altering consciousness, but to keep, uh, to keep uh, 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 that harmony. Harmony was a big focus, you know, and people spend a lot of their time and energy, and that's why people don't even have time to really take vacations and go places where, because they spend a lot of their energy and time and resources just maintaining harmony, so that and that's why you didn't have issues with the depression, for example. Why? Because everybody, the whole energy in the culture is is very well um, balanced. A quick example uh, I can give you. In a village, uh, in my, in my uh, uh, village, there was an emblem which I can equate to the Holy Grail or to a flag or something. And it was called Gevito. Uh, uh, it was a contorted object. And this object was uh, had so much power. It was the source of power of the village. And if you injured it, you would injure the whole village. So think about it. So whenever uh, you would go, the village would be a war, or they would go and raid the, na the, the neighboring uh, communities because that's what they, they did. Nowadays, we spend a lot of time and energy around sports, competing for sports. Mm. And this is, oh, this is Duke, or this is uh, San Francisco, or whatever, Bay team, whatever team it is. But in those days, people did not compete for sports, gold medal and Olympics. What people did, they competed for 
cow, for actual resources. They competed for land, they competed for cows, for livestock, and women. But in a very different way than we do today, <clears throat> which is another small story I can tell you, uh, in, as a way of telling you about the village. So this is what people would do. People who are, who are neighbors would raid each other's cows and women and children, and they will bring them back, but not as slaves. They will bring them back as their wives and their children. Now, the most amazing thing that I heard in that context is that sometimes when one group was going to raid the next village, and they happen to run into each other before they get to where they thought they could actually be mm. embarked in the background, the leader of one group and the leader of the next neighboring village would agree, that both sides would agree that the leaders will fight. And whoever wins between those two means that the other side has lost. And with that interruption, the winning side will go take all the goats that are close by and they'll take them back. So we don't have to have a necessary sharing of blood. blood. Right. That's number one. The other thing that I point out that is really amazing, that whenever there was farming in either side, one group would go to the other side that is supposedly enemies, right? And they'll say, look, we are about to die because there's farming in our side. Because especially in my culture, in my area, we were close to the Maasai's. Maasai's are very well known. But the Maasai's were not farmers. We were farmers and we kept livestock. The Maasai's were just mainly pastoralists. Right. So whenever there was maybe an epidemic, all the cows would die and they have no food. They have very poor food security. Right. So whenever that, that would happen, they would come to a, a, a village and villages or, or area. They say, look, we want to leave our wives and our children. And we'll go to our distant cousin, maybe to San Francisco, maybe because we are friends now. So if we become, in this village we, in this village we have, if we become, we have this, because of an epidemic, we end up in a bad situation. So we go to our neighboring uh, people and we say, look, man, we want to leave our children, our wives, because we can take them with them. Mm -hmm. And we go to where Chris village is because Chris is a friend of mm -hmm. ours. We'll go and work with Chris for a while until they are, we accumulate enough livestock and then we'll come back and we'll get the children. So check this out. The same people that they are saying they are enemies. You see, because Western mind has, is very limited in, which we, in the way in which we understand other people. And that's why I think it's so important for me to be an anthropologist because I can understand things right. that I can maybe illuminate that can happen even African help, even Africans, when they think about themselves, they don't think that they are saved by salvation. That's why I said I'm lucky because I was saved from salvation. By that I mean I can understand myself on my own terms without using Eurocentric eyes to understand myself. Right. So this is what will happen. Whenever, to complete the story, these Maasai's would come back maybe 10, 20 years later. Right. And they will say, look, we went back to, to our distant cousin. We were able to recover. We worked hard. We helped them with their work. And we were paid in return with some livestock. So we are ready now to go start our lives. So we are ready to come and get our wives and children back. And the Kikuyu would tell them, oh, yeah, since you're gone, your daughter got married to my nephew. So here's your cows for that marriage. And your, that, that, your other son, uh, little boy, he married my niece. So you, you owe for that. And uh, they said, so they do an account for that. Right. And they say, and, they, and, so, they say, and this year, so when we do the accounting, since five girls were married, one boy got a wife. So we have the, the, the diary for four. Right. And the master will say, okay, thank you very much for doing this. And this section is uh, 
gratuity for you for being such a good host. Section of land. No, 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 a section of their lifestyle. Oh, oh, right, I see. Right, for okay. the diary. The right, diary right. was in last talk. Right. So this for you. Thank you very much. And they will leave. They'll go, right? And maybe three years from now, they'll start reading each other too. Again, right? So it's, it's a very complex relationship. Yeah, yeah. Then sometimes both yeah. sides will be, because the epidemic will come and will affect both sides. Right. Say, no, no, we don't need to read each other, man. Right. We are both weak. We Let's just have enemy. peace, man. Let's right. just suspend this for another 20 years. They'll go a big ceremony. They will not, you know, read. So everybody keep what they have. Right. And their friend, they trade, they go, whatever, no, nobody, whatever. Yeah. So it's a very interesting and complex system that yeah. we can learn from. Yeah. So I don't have to say Muslims are my enemy, <clears throat> or right. eternal enemies. Right. You know, no eternal. We are all competing for what we, we uh, uh, is functional. And yeah. if we compete and we decide we don't want to compete, we, Africans could be smart enough to do that. We are not able to do that in the West. Or even Africans today are not able to do that. Well, that's what, that's what I was going to say, because, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of what we talk about here uh, that I've heard conversations, a lot of it is trying to replicate mm -hmm. the, all these beautiful, mm -hmm. uh, beneficial aspects of an African village. Yes. The, you know, the cooperation mm -hmm. and, the, you know, the understanding, some of the things you're describing about yes. even like therapy and... Yes. and uh, inclusion, all these, all these beautiful things, mm -hmm. but we have to be honest and look at Africa and say, "Fuck, Africa is there's a lot of problems yes. there." You know, yes. Yes. it's not a paradise. Yes. And, uh, you know, later I'll be speaking with uh, your Godi. friend Godi, Godi who's yes. from Congo. Yes. Which, like, mm, yes. you know, yes. one of the most troubled places on the planet yes. right now. So it's interesting that you know we're, we're talking about how uh, societies that work really well mm -hmm. on a local level, mm -hmm. but when you get to mm -hmm. larger levels, mm -hmm. things become very troubled, mm -hmm. you know, very corrupt on yes. the governmental yes. level. Yes. And so, like, are there, you're here mm -hmm. trying to bring beneficial aspects mm -hmm. of African village mm -hmm. life to mm -hmm. the United States. Mm -hmm. Are there things that you would want to bring to Kenya? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Number one, uh, if, I, if you can allow, I can just make a brief comment. Sure, what yeah. You so, the, re the problem in Africa in Congo right now is not the Congolese. The problem, the idea of making one big country is not the idea of Africa. Yeah. It's the idea of the empire builders. Right. So Africans did fine. I, the, the most happiest I've ever been, and I probably will ever be, is when I live in a very localized Right. I have family. You're not thinking about Kenya. I'm not interested what in Kenya? what is happening uh, 20 regions from there right. unless it's going to affect my, my security. Right. I wish them well. But look, if we are living in a sort of an intentional community here, right? Right. Research has shown that beyond 25 people, you cannot have personal relationships. That's, you know, that's the research that's done in the way. You cannot have personal relationship with very, very close relationship with over 25 people. You're talking about Dunbar's number? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yes so 150 yes. understanding, understanding but you're saying 25, but 25 very, is very, 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 very intense. Right, yes, yeah. yes. So in the, and that's why uh, even when I, I sat down and I calculated the people in my village, uh, in my clan, and my clan is growing so much. So a lot of my people in my clan, I don't even know them. I never even seen them because right. it's grown so much now. So and what would happen is that even back then, whenever the clan would grow so far, it would split. Mm. Every because it was just functional, right? right. So you know, so then to say that uh, Congo is a creation of the Berlin Conference, right? And it was set up to for the exploitation right. of Africa, right. right? Now and it's still the same 
idea continues under a different name. Napoleon owned a country that was a hundred times the size of Portugal, right? Or in terms of even wealth. As a personal property, as a king. Then he exploited this under the free Congo society, you know, he, he's civilizing this, the, 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 the country. So the idea, I'm saying all that to say that the idea of Congo and the problems are not the problems of Congolese, but the, the problems that are caused by corporations that want to exploit the resources that Congolese has, number one. Number two, to not, but saying that as a foundation of answering your question, there are ideas everywhere that are sustainable. I don't know where, anywhere I've ever been that you can see at least something that you can see, oh, this, these people are really doing this good. And maybe you can say, yeah, maybe I can take a little bit of it. You don't have to be like them. The idea, the problem that we are facing today is that you do have people who have created a business or a corporation of selling their ideas that are not even sustainable as a way of creating an empire. So you say, oh man, we need to, you need to be, we need to sell Jesus or Mohammed or this because this is the only one true religion. So you go all over the world telling people that, uh, sp spreading morality when you're not moral yourself. Mm. I, I went to the Middle East and I was like, is this the Middle East? These people came and uh, Arabs came and told us that they are civilized, really? Even when a woman can walk down the road by herself without a meal, women can walk anywhere they want to walk in my village any time of the day, every time of the night, mm. where I grew up, right? But, anyway, so I'm saying all that to say that, yeah, there are ideas about from here that I, I'm very, very excited to share with Kenya. And I mm. do, do do that. You know, Kenya is suffering from food security. You know, there are people who are thinking differently and being free to push the edges like this community say look we are not worried about we are not interested in what jesus says and or who jesus saves or who doesn't save or anybody else that's good for those people who want to do that right for us we are interested uh, as my dad taught me is that when my grandfather heard what the missionaries were saying the response my grandfather said in his wisdom that they said look i'm not interested in what somebody else to bless me because I don't know who is causing problems. I know you're causing problems. So if you can at least bless me by not causing me any problems, I'll be very, very happy. You know, I would not really even give a damn about this other person. Please just don't give me a problem. Because all the good, if I weigh the good and the bad that you, you're yeah. offering, yeah. your bad, far away any good ideas you bring me right. about the way I die. Yeah, you when I you die. can bless me by getting the fuck out, out of here. here. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear that. There's I there's you and I were talking the other night about Daniel Everett. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There, yes. there's one of my favorite things is when he's with the the Pinaha people and he yeah. went initially as a missionary, yes. right? Yes. But he after a certain amount of time, mm -hmm. he realized that their understanding, their, the way their society worked was much better than his. And, and he abandoned yes. Christianity, mm -hmm. which caused a divorce with his wife, wife and, you know, big problem. But anyway, one of my favorite things is when he first arrived there and he was tell, talking to them about Jesus all the time. And finally they sat him down and they mm -hmm. said, listen, Daniel, we like you. Mm -hmm. uh, but stop talking to us about Jesus. Yes. You know, he, they said, you didn't know Jesus. Yes. He said, no. Yes. He said, did your father know Jesus? No, no. Did your grandfather know Jesus? No. Then stop talking about Jesus. <laughs> it's like, we, if you, you don't know someone who knew him, then it's all just stories. You know, it's, it's not reality. If, if you can, uh, I can, I'm working on an essay.
about the family that Jesus destroyed, which is mine. Hmm. I just had a, a meeting and I told you about it. And this is no private information. This is public information because that's what I say. I'm saying this not to be hateful to anybody in my family or whatever. I'm, my, my information is that in the same spirit that my grandfather did, is that hopefully I can share something that can save somebody's life. Hmm. So it's very difficult for me to meet in my family. Hmm. And we had a meeting up around the 4th of July. And we had the most, the largest gathering of the Af people, members of my family that are in the U.S. So my brothers were there, my sister was there, those are my siblings. We were here in the U.S. And my, my niece was there, uh, and my uh, two of my nieces and their, uh, their husband. And they all live in the they U.S.? They all live in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, my niece and her husband were visiting from the, uh, Kenya. Uh -huh. So that's why we, we, uh, we went there. Right. But, uh, and my son was there. So this... And my, my nieces, which are my sister's daughters, yeah. and my, I have three sisters, this is my middle sister, and she's one who raised me because my mother was sick uh, growing up. So she's almost like my mother, and she's the only one who has been to this community. Yeah. And I told you when she came to this community, I had a dinner here, and when we, after the dinner, and during my dinners, I told you about how I do my dinners, my dinners are this kind of information. They are not only feeding the mind, they are the body, but feeding the mind as well. Right. So, you know, so I talk, and there are people who are uh, the guests who are mostly white, so I always tell the stories that I tell and share right. the wisdom that I have. Mm -hmm. And uh, my sister could not wait for me to finish. She came and said, why are you talking about white people when they are the ones who are paying you? And I said, I'm not scared of white people. And I don't think, why are you so concerned about white people? They are not concerned about me, what I said to them. They stayed an hour and almost two hours after the dinner was over because they wanted to talk to me about different things. About, about She didn't want you to criticize. White people in, the, in, in their presence, right? Right. It's like, she, probably from her perspective, it's like you're you're still a guest here or something. Oh, no, 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 no. She's, she's like, uh, wow, Africans are uh, disempowered uh. and they think white people they recognize that they, they, they have actually been uh, psych, uh, psychologically damaged by white power. Right. So they, we, we still, a lot of Africans still view white to be the standard in the world right. and the whites to be superior. Right. Why else would I now criticize somebody if they do something wrong? Right. If, you do, if you step on my toe and I'm quiet, I got to think you're superior than me right. or you're more powerful. I'm telling you, Chris, get the fuck out of your hand. <laughs> get out of off my, my foot. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, my foot, man, yeah. is painting. But and the things I say, hopefully, I don't say them out of hate. Yeah. And I, I hope it doesn't come out. And it, it seems that way because I, during the dinner that I did, and I've, the ones I've did, even last night, so many people came, they want to take a picture of me. To me, that's a sign that people are not that offended. You know, I don't, I don't, and I don't care that I'm well, offended. But, and also, you're not, I mean, I haven't heard one of your dinners, but, you know, getting to know you, you're, it sounds to me that you're not talking about individual people being yes. evil. You're yes. talking about structural, so cultural is. issues. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, that's right. But, yeah. the, but, the, I'm, I'm, so the, but the idea, of, I, I, and I recognize the problem, is it's very difficult for us to have a discussion about the problem that it afflicts all of us right. because we personalize it. Right. So my sister could not see be, uh, beyond the personal white people who are, right. the different the distinction right. between the white people who are there and the greater white system that is, even affecting those white people who are there right. negatively. Right. So anyway, I'm saying that to say that now, also when we met, we started re remembering how the family used to get together during when my dad was alive or when we were young. And it was, was such a happy, happy, happy get together, right? But I don't even remember anybody praying for the food. 
Whenever we used to get together during the ceremonies in Kenya when, before the family, nobody prayed for the food. We got together, we ate everybody. Nobody talked about Jesus. The, I, the, I, in my earliest memories about the, uh, the, my family, mm. nobody talked about Jesus. Yeah. My older sister got saved and she was on the fringes. You know, right. We thought, okay, she's, she's whatever. But now we cannot get together and even have a discussion in my family because religion just damages everything. They will all bring up all the Jesus is doing that. I say, stop telling me what Jesus is. Even, look, I, the, the, the one example that kind of wrapped it all is I went to Kenya and I met a family member who is kind of in need. And I gave, and, and he's not even in need. I, I was just happy to see them and I wanted to give a gift. I didn't have a gift, so I reached in my pocket, I gave them some money. And they gave some money and said, oh man, I thank, I thank Jesus for you. I said, oh really? Give me the money. I put the money back. Let go get it from Jesus. I said, why? Because you cannot eat at one restaurant and go pay in the next restaurant. Yeah. You pay at the restaurant where you eat. Right. Right? Yeah. So why you, I, I did a lot of work for doing private jobs I don't like in the U.S. for yeah. most people. Yeah. But, and then I give you that money and you give it to, and you thank it Jesus. to Jesus. Yeah. Man, you have freaking money. Give me the money back. And, I, and they thought when I'm asking the money, I wanted to give them more. Yeah. So they were really disappointed when, uh, so I'm saying that to say that now this whole idea yeah. has become so toxic yeah. that we can't even have an open discussion about issues that are relevant. Well, speaking of difficult discussions, you've been here 20 years? Uh, 20, 28 years. Now. Almost 30 years. Almost 30 years. So, you know, okay, so we're talking about you mm -hmm. and your interactions with sort of white culture mm -hmm. and, and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. What's it like mm -hmm. to be an African man, especially mm -hmm. in the South, mm -hmm. dealing with black American culture? Wow, yeah, that's a, that's a, I, I, I went to a historical black college, so I have very, very mad respect for, for, for some of the professors I met there. They were so influential in the way they're thinking. Dr. Green, uh, a profile is appearing in the magazine uh, called Anthropology Now, mm. and which is also a, just a, uh, an amazing idea in itself because I'm more known as an indigenous chef, organic chef. I'm known for more of my food work. But my food work is my anthropological expression of, yeah, actually practical right. uh, expression of uh, my anthropology, which I, apply, I attend an applied program. Yeah. But I don't an announce it because most people don't know. I don't put it too much out there because most people don't know much about anthropology. Whatever, so I have to explain a lot of stuff. But when I say food, people understand food because, you know, I'm here. You're, to you're kind of like an Anthony Bourdain, yes, in a yes, way. Yes, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that, using that, food, food to get into man, culture. Food, to, to tell stories and yeah. to really right. uh, positively influence very, very diff difficult discussions. So I right. can talk about things that I find my African-American friends having difficulties expressing because they are too directly connected to the issue. Right. So if you talk about black and white, look, I was just enslaved a few minutes ago. I was colonized as well. But because I'm a foreigner here, I feel sometimes as though I mm. can have a more, much more softer discussion with both sides. You know, right. like I go to African-Americans, I'm right at home. Yeah. And I can understand right. where I'm not white, so I can understand where, and they have, many of them have very fond um, relationship with Africa. You do know, in do the, you think it, they idealize Africa? It's very idealized, so I, yeah. and it, that's, it's problematic in itself. Right. So when I'm having an African uh, discussion with African-Americans, I can give them a more intellectual analysis balance analysis about what Africa is. Africa is not in Egypt, man. That's long gone, you know, so, you know, so that, so for, for that. So that's number one. Number two, I spend a lot of time with African-Americans who are in the nation of Islam. 
and I spent. I used to go to the mosque. I used to go to church in the mm. morning, in the afternoon, and I didn't go there because I was Christian or anything. But it was almost anthropological, man. I want to go hang out there and right. see what happens there. Right. Then when when the church finishes, I go to the mosque, and I'll be there, and I hear all these other stuff, and I wanted to see. I really wanted to immerse myself in the culture right. of the African American. Right. So, and the best way to really know about any culture, go to their religious mm. ceremonies. You'll know all the stuff, and yeah. then go and eat it with them. Like right. So, anyway, I'm saying that to say that uh, that my work around African Americans is really intense because uh, some of the people I, I uh, I'm friends with, they would not rather not even associate with white people. Mm. You know, and I understand because there's a pain. Uh, so, so that's that's problematic in itself. Right. Uh, then others have ideas about what. If you don't hang around white people, then you'll have ideas about white people that is not necessarily balanced. Or you can just say all white people are this way. Right. But you no, know, so so that so uh, my work is uh, complex in that way. So I, I've learned how to na navigate both sides right. so that I can be sort of a bridge uh, for the good things that because uh, they, they are. Look, I tell black people. The reason why black people are in the condition they are both in Africa and in uh, America is because of some dishonest white, or black people as well. Right. You know, there were slave rebellions here that was, uh, black people snitched on. So when we say that are black, I can't say all black people are good. Right. When I say white people, I can't say all white people are good. And it right. becomes really interesting discussion right. on yeah. that level. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're... you're I mean, I think of the definition of a shaman, right? Yes. It's someone who moves between worlds. Worlds, yes. And you're moving, I see you moving between Kenya and this world, mm -hmm. and, and in, in the United States, you're moving between black culture and white culture. You're sort of... In my culture, in my culture, the, the funny thing, man, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that, because it gives me an even better thought to answer your earlier question. Uh -huh. In my culture, the people who are called uh, medicine men, yeah. right? The people who be medicine men, in my culture, the way they will become that is first they will be crazy. Yeah. So they will go through a process that they become mad. Right. Then they'll become normal. Because again. they're hearing voices. Yeah, they're hearing voices, right? Yeah. So they can't become, and those are the only people, those are the people who are tasked with treating other people right. because they know something everybody else doesn't know. They know what mad is. So right. it, was a, it was amazing. Uh, uh, concept for me when my grandma my father explained that to me that yeah. the people and my uncle yeah. was uh, a medicine man uh -huh. and my uncle was very tall so when I was born and I beca constantly became kept growing 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 my dad kept saying man this is uh, my my one of my gra my grandfather's brother and the, so in my culture it's also relevant for me to explain to you for me, for you to even really have a good understanding of my culture is that we had resurrection too, but resurrection in my culture occup uh, happened multiple times and when people are living. So my son is named after my father. So the first two sons in every marriage or in every relationship where children were born, which was marriage there, will be named after their grandfather. There was no physical separation between the grandfather and his first nephew of his son and the second nephew first of his daughter grandson yeah his grandson right so for for my, my my son is named after my father if my father is living and we have i have six seven brothers and sisters and every one of them have a son 
the son, two sons at least. That means my father would have been resurrected seven times. Right. There was no physical separation between my father, to, at least in, my, in the African uh, psychology, mm. between my father and his gra grandsons that I named after him. I can remember my grandmother crying and saying, now, for the people, grandchildren who are after, named after her, you will see my grandmother wailing and saying, why are you beating me? And by then she's saying, why is my sister's, by my sister whipping uh, her grandchildren. With her name. With her name, you're, you're, whipping, my, you're whipping my grandmother. Does it make sense? Oh, so, yeah. so yeah, so there's no physical separation. So my, right. my, my grandmother will will for, right. my, my, for, for her for grandchild, for a child who named after them. Because by naming someone, you resurrect them. Right. Because their name will never die. Right. As long as the process will go on. Right. My name Kabui will keep Kabui will keep coming back. My name Kabui right. will keep coming right. back. Because as long as Kabui has two children, yeah. then they will be named. And is there like some sort of spiritual connection as well? That's it. Yeah. That's so it. so you have the spirit of you it. You have the spirit of that. So when right. my my father right. saw me being tall, whatever. And look look at how the deep psychology in that. That just because my father told me that I'm like this medicine man. Look at the work that I'm doing. Right. That's exactly what he told me. I'm right. doing that work of healing. Right. And my 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 uh, grandfather, which was uh, also, the way it goes that my grandfather's all my grandfather's brothers are my grandfather, all my brothers to my to my son are fathers. Mm. So my oldest brother is my son's old dad. Mm. My my next brother is still my uh, my son's older dad. Right. For my son, uh, my other brothers, all to all their children, I'm their young dad. Right. So that's how it works. So so for my father, for, he see me being still doing the work of his uh, of my grandfather. So I'm a medicine man, and because when they told me that, and because I'm raised that way, then. That's the work I ended up doing. Did, have you gone through a crisis? Have you? Oh yeah, yes I have. Did, I have. Yes, I, and I'm still going one. You know, I'm still trying to adjust around my family. Right. Most people, because of the way I am, when you're a medicine man, you give a lot and you don't. I don't. I have land that I'm letting people use. Right, whatever. Right. So I don't. I, so for me, when you go to another plane, I'm one of the ways you ascend to that level is that you start losing sense. The, 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 the local sense of ownership and control and whatever. Right. You have a job you have to do, so I'm not all interested. Whether I sleep in my car or I sleep in the house, if it, as long as I'm doing the work that I'm doing, that's what matters to a medicine man. Right. Yeah, that the craft and the work and the people may have uh, maintained this. Um, so right. I can, I, right. and when you do that, um, and I've never talked about that before, by the way. When you do that, you get a very heightened sense of the consequences of action. Right. So for me, I see people doing certain things. Those people don't care. I see people eating food and they, they're not giving much thought. But I can see 10 years down the road, these people will have serious problems. I can see my family constantly talking about Jesus and giving Jesus credit all the time. You know what they're doing? They are forgetting themselves. Yeah. When you're talking about Jesus, you don't have an opportunity to talk about what my grandfather did, mm. what my father did. I never hear anybody in my family talk about what my grandfather did. Right. Now nobody gives him credit. Right. So he did all this work, beautiful work, powerful work. My father did all this beautiful work, powerful work. When my family get together, they are all Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you can 
dumb people by making people think they're thinking about something uh, important and it's something toxic both yeah. to them, their children, and for the human humanity. Yeah. Was your was your son born in America? All my children are born here. And uh, all with the same woman? I know. I have two, uh, two, two, two different women. And were they they're both American women? Well, one is American woman, African-American. One is uh, uh, a Kenyan woman. Ah, uh, right. Yes. Same language? Uh, yes, same language. In fact, the, 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 white, the mother of my second set of children, him and my father were best friends. But they were, and they were also b b business partners. Uh -huh. So they used to call each other brother. They were so close right. that they were calling each other brother. Right. Yeah, that's, so, that's cool. And, and this is very unique. My son has both names of, of both his grandparents, something actually traditional we didn't do. Yeah. So we broke in tradition there. Right. But, uh, you know, I only have one son. Yeah. So he carries very powerful names. He carries the name of my, my father as well as the name of... Uh, uh, his other grandfather, who, who was also a very significant man, yeah. and uh, uh, quite, quite uh, prosperous, hard working from nothing, and he built uh, quite, quite a bit of wealth. Yeah. Yes. So, what's your, what's the future for you? Are you going to stay in the U.S. Do you think, or do you, do you think about going back to Kenya? Or? Uh, yeah, very, very good question. So, number where I stay is not important, right? Uh, because I probably can have better use of my time in this country if I can have, if I can use the knowledge better and spread it to more people. But if I go to Kenya and live to Kenya and I'm talking to people and all they're doing is fighting me because of Jesus, then, you know, what good is it for both my well-being, my crisis, <laughs> and all that, you know. So where I live or don't live is almost in secondary. Mm. So, but where can I do more work? So it has the most good so that when I passed away, this knowledge, like, okay, I, I, I do, I make social commentary as well in Kenya. So I speak on radio, mm. I speak on TV uh, sometimes when I'm there. Like, I do events, so I'm doing the same thing. So my work is limited to where people want me to work. People right. invite me to work, I work. And I do the same work here, the same work with black people, white people. Right. Not necessarily the same, but the same nature of work. Right. To help people the understand bridging. themselves, right. yeah, to understand, to move towards a more elevated uh, state of being to where we can get the best of each other. Right. And instead of always, and to, to heal from the, the heart is there. I never to tell, say, oh, white people haven't done that. I'm not interested in that, and that's not my job. Let somebody do, do that. I'm not an apology, mm. an apologist for anybody. I'm not an apologist for Kikuyu. Right. I'm not an apologist for black people. I'm not right. an apologist, I'm not a black uh, supremacist. Say black people is better or white people is better. No, I've seen good people everywhere. Right. And to say that is to waste other people's time. So, anyway, so my, my job is, to just keep raising awareness, raising and use that form of healing, uh, medical anthropology and uh, cultural medicine that I have of, of changing the way we look at the world and the way we think about ourselves as a way of healing ourselves. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you, you right? <laughs> Thank you. I could talk with you all day, really. No, 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 man. Yeah, but, but, and we will do, we'll do this again, man, I'm sure. I hope so. You will, you will not yeah. be... You know, this one will be the last. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through Patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast a buck a month, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. Thank you to Basin and Range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast. Very funky little tune there uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, Thanks to Shore Design T-shirts. Our garage is full of them. My mom has them all organized as only she can. Julie, thank you to Julie, my mom. She'll send those T-shirts out to you if you order them. Everything we've got in stock is from Shore Design T-shirts in Thailand. And you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at carseyblanton.com. C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm. And it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can, because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel Say what you want to say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say <laughs> When everyone we've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away But we're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day So baby, what's a big deal? If you want to be free, say what you want to feel, spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if
if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground